0: Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, M.D. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hello busy doctors, welcome back for one of my favorite topics, time management. The first thing I want to say is that while I consider myself to be pretty good at time management, I'm not necessarily a content expert on the subject, and that's okay. Along with some practical tips that I've found helpful, I'm going to explain why you really don't need to know much about the subject to be good at it. Like all of you, I have a lot of roles. My work roles include being a full-time academic physician, which obviously includes teaching residents and medical students, being division director, a quality medical director, Associate Chief Medical Information Officer, actively participating on a bunch of departmental and hospital committees, being a committee member for a couple of national organizations, having a couple of leadership roles within subsections of national organizations, being a board examiner, being a peer reviewer for a journal, contributing to two epic steering boards. Even as I'm writing this list, I keep thinking of other things I do, and I'm sure everyone listening has a similar list, give or take. And not to mention the fact that I also have a coaching practice on top of all that. The reason I'm listing out all of these things isn't to brag on my accomplishments, although I am proud of all those things. It's just to show you that you can have a lot of stuff to do and still feel like you've got it all under control, at least most of the time. In my mind, time management is adequate when all of the important tasks get done on time. But most of the time, I live in good time management, Which to me means not only are things done on time, but I don't feel rushed and I feel like I've got it all under control. As you know, there are a ton of resources out there for teaching time management strategies. There are courses you can take, like the Monday Hour One course offered by the Life Coach School, which is where I did my coach training. This was included in my training, but they just recently started offering it as a standalone course that anyone can sign up for. There are all sorts of books and websites. There are a ton of apps, YouTube channels, podcasts. Really, I mean, you can pick any learning style and find a time management learning resource in the format that works for you. I do think familiarizing yourself with a couple of basic strategies or schools of thought is a good idea because that's where you get the backbone of what's available. I do not think it's a good idea, though, to try and research all of them. For one thing, that in itself is a huge time suck. For the other, the fact that so many schools of thought exist tells you that there isn't an established best practice. If there were, that would be the only thing out there, and we'd all be doing it. It's like what I tell patients when they have a complex condition and they've been given like seven very different opinions on how it should be managed. If you get that many plans, it probably means that none of us know what's best or that it needs to be individualized. I'm going to spell out some things that work for me, but what I want you to be listening for is not, oh, this is how I'm supposed to do things. The point is to learn how to go through the steps of figuring out what will work best for you. There are a couple of ground rules I want to lay out. One, you do not have to follow any prescribed plan the way it is taught. I'm giving you permission now to pick and choose. We're going to come back to this point later and talk about why you probably shouldn't follow any plan exactly as it's written. But for now, just know it's totally okay to reject parts or all of anything that doesn't seem like a good fit. As a type A, very rigid rule follower myself, figuring this out was a challenge for me, but so liberating once I did. If it works for me, it's not wrong. Number two, there will have to be a little trial and error because you have to fail a little to learn. And number three, you're allowed to change your plan in the future. Okay, so I use a combination of paper and electronic to-do lists, calendaring, and Monday Hour 1. Since I've mentioned Monday Hour 1 a couple times, I'll give you a very brief summary. The idea is that at the beginning of every week, you spend your first hour making a list of every single thing you need to do that week, both work and personal, leisure, things that you absolutely have to do, and things that you just really want to do. You decide how long each item will take, and then you put them all on your calendar. When the time comes, you do what your calendar says, whether you feel like it or not. And again, this includes your leisure time, since that's so important to your wellness. Everything goes on your calendar, and you always follow your calendar. Obviously, there's a lot more to it, but that's the basic idea. There are some really great principles, which you'll also see in many of the other time management schools of thought, but how I apply them is a little bit different than how it's laid out. Okay, so here are some of my top time management tips. Tip number one, figure out when you are most productive and when you are not and respect that. My electronic to-do list is mostly for work tasks. Anytime I have an action item from a meeting or an email, it goes on that list with an assigned date. I used to spread things out over the week, but I've learned that since I usually have clinic on Monday and Tuesday all day, it's useless for me to put important tasks or really any tasks on those days because I'm not going to do them. Generally, I don't even look at my to-do list on clinic days. I also used to put a lot of things on weekends and post-call days thinking, well, those are the times when my time is really flexible and I might get a lot done, so why not just fill it up? but I've also learned that I prefer not to have scheduled work tasks on post-call days or days off. Like the clinic days, these are days that I usually won't even look at the list, so I choose not to load them up. Exceptions are anything that's time-sensitive and would be easier to do when I'm post-call. For example, I always make sure everything in my inbox related to call, like co-signing the resident's notes, reconciling charts, completing my op notes, is completely done, And my billing is submitted before going home post call. It's just easier and faster for me to take care of those things when it's fresh in my mind rather than if I put them off. I sleep a lot better knowing I haven't left any loose ends. But other than that, post call days are pretty much off limits for non urgent tasks. For me, the days that I have my flexible time are my call and OR days, so that's when I put most of my tasks. Tip number two figure out what needs to be an active reminder and when a passive reminder will do. For anything that's of high importance and time-sensitive, simply putting it on my to-do list or calendar, which are both types of passive reminders, those don't work for me. As I've mentioned already, there are some days that I don't even look at the list, so if that's all it was, I wouldn't even see it. I do try and give my calendar at least a once-over every day, but if it's a clinic day, I'll probably ignore my calendar because why would there be anything on it other than clinic? So again, passive approach of the calendar is just not going to work. Also, I tend to ignore calendar reminders. So no, if it's something really important and time-sensitive, I need to be hit over the head with it, probably multiple times. As I'm recording this, I need to bring a check to work tomorrow for graduation tickets. So the email telling me to do it got snoozed to show up for me today. There's an item on the to-do list just in case I happen to check it there's a calendar reminder tonight, and an alarm tonight. Since I know I will often ignore one or most of those things, I figure if I employ all of them, I'll probably get it done. And guess what? It's fine that I ignore those things. It doesn't mean I'm disorganized. What's important is that I figured out that I ignore them, and so I also figured out a better strategy. Passive reminders are perfectly fine for things that are not time-sensitive or that are occurring on a day where I'm very confident I'll be spending some time on my to-do list. There's a small work task that I have to do every Thursday. It usually takes me about five minutes tops. It's super easy, but I always forget it unless I have it on my list. It's also something that isn't critical to get done on time. If I forget it or I don't do it, the only harm that comes of it is just minor annoyance for me, because then I have to put it on my list for a different day. I also know that unless I'm on vacation, I always spend a lot of time working my to-do list on Thursdays. So I know I'm going to see the reminder, and it's of minor importance. A passive reminder is just fine. Tips number three and four. These are intertwined, so I'm going to explain them together. Keep all of your inboxes clean, ideally empty and have things show up only when you plan to address them. What I mean by clean, for like my email um, inbox, if I have to scroll onto a second page, that's not clean. For my Epic inbox, if there's more than two folders, that's not clean. And again, empty is best. This is where I've adopted part of the Ohio principle, that only handle it once, and completely rejected another part of it only handle it once would say, don't look at your email inbox unless you're prepared to deal with everything. And once you do, address every email right then and there. I reject the idea that every email or inbox message or whatever has to be handled immediately. Or that immediate action is always the best option. If I'm feeling spicy and my temper is acting up, probably lots of emails need to wait for me to simmer down. What I do instead is I do immediate triage of the inbox. This I can delete. This I can send a one line response. This one needs to wait. The quick ones get handled right away, and the others I set aside. If you use Outlook, you can snooze an email. You can make it go away and then show up again at the exact date and time of your choosing. It's still there. It'll be in a folder called snoozed, and you can go look at it anytime you want if you need to. So that's what I do with the ones I don't plan to act on now. They do not belong in my field of vision. If you use Epic, you can do essentially the same thing using the patient reminder list. Patient has a bi 3 mammogram, needs a six-month follow-up, they go on my reminder list. It's out of sight, but I can go and look at the list if I want to. About four to six weeks before the follow-up is due, on a date of my choosing, I get a new message in my inbox reminding me to check and see if they've scheduled their follow-up yet or not, and if not, to send them a reminder. Having things go away for a while keeps your inbox clean, And when your inbox is clean, it takes you far less time to address it. The more clutter you have in your inbox, the more time it takes you to sort through everything and remind yourself which things need action now and which don't, and figure out what you have time to deal with today. It's a huge waste of time. Just see what you need to see now. I also do this with my electronic to-do list for things like recurring events that I will 100% forget if I don't have an annual reminder. I have more than once forgotten to get graduation gifts for residents until like a week before graduation, at which point I'm panicking and buying something stupid because that's all I can find. So now, every May 1st, I have an item on my to-do list to start thinking about it. Once the gifts are purchased, that item gets reassigned to May 1st of the following year. Tip number five, figure out how you like to allocate your time and do so in a way that you like. As I mentioned before, the Monday Hour 1 school of thought, you take everything from your list of stuff that needs to get done, decide how long it will take, and then calendar it. There are rules that you always obey your calendar, you always finish things in the amount of time you allotted, and you don't believe that there is anything that's an emergency worthy of deviating from your calendar unless it's truly life or death. I do appreciate the merit of those general philosophies. They make you hold yourself accountable and they keep you from making flimsy excuses. I also think there's a lot to be said for predetermining how long things will take, because it's really easy to not get things done when you think you don't know how long it'll take. You can tell yourself a story about how this is outside of your control or knowledge, but if you say, this is going to take me 30 minutes, more often than not, you'll get it done in 30 minutes. But anyway, for a lot of us, the time when we might be getting stuff done is downtime on call or hospital service, and there might absolutely be emergencies. Also, I feel like it's a little too rigid for me, which is funny because I generally love rules and boundaries and rigid thinking. So for me, on an OR day when I don't have many cases, I'll give myself a list of several things to do, and I'll triage them in terms of importance and time sensitivity, But I generally don't map out exactly which things I'm doing at exactly what time. I like to be able to say, okay, I just used a lot of mental energy reviewing the status update on that research project, so now I'm going to do a couple quick and brainless tasks. For some people, having each item on their calendar so they have it all laid out works for them well. And if that works for you, great. It's just not for me. I might put something on the calendar that I know is going to take a big chunk of time, but that's just a reminder to make sure I keep that amount of time blocked off. When the actual time comes, I reserve the right to move things around, break them up into smaller chunks, rearrange them however I see fit. If they're all done at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Tip number six, figure out what makes it fun for you and incorporate that. Part of the reason that I use a combination of paper and electronic to-do lists is that I find it more fun to cross something off of a paper list than an electronic one. That's not the only reason. I use paper lists when it's just for one day, and I want to keep adding things as I think of them. This is what I do in my clinic days. I always have a piece of paper at my workstation because things will pop into my head throughout the day, and if I don't write them down, I'll forget them. If I have five minutes here or there between patients, I'll get one of them done and cross it off. At the end of the day, anything not crossed off either goes on the electronic to-do list, scheduled for the next block of time when I think I reasonably will be able to get to it or it goes into my phone as an alarm if it's something high priority and then that paper list goes in the trash on weekends I write out my list first thing in the morning and add things as I think of them and cross them off as I get them done tip number 7 circling back to the ground rules you're allowed to pick and choose and I really think you actually have to do this for one thing No one knows your life better than you do. No one knows which things matter most to you, which formats are best for you, how much control you have over your workday. No cookie-cutter plan could possibly know any of those things. If you're trying to apply a plan to your life and parts of it just don't fit, it doesn't mean you're doing things wrong. It might mean that those parts are just wrong for you. If you believe you're doing it wrong, it's really easy to start convincing yourself that you must be somehow inferior or flawed because you can't do it right. Or you might say, F it and scrap the whole thing. But when you make the plan yourself, not only will that give you the ultimate control, it gives you the ultimate responsibility. It's really tempting to want to blame someone else. I can't follow X plan because they don't know what a doctor's schedule is like. Well, guess what? You do. The other reason this is important is that for some of us, after spending years or decades having other people in charge of our time, and now we finally have more autonomy, trying to enforce someone else's time management rules on yourself might spark a little rebellion. You might embark on something with the best intentions, and then after a while, develop a little bit of a don't tell me what to do attitude. It's harder to do that when you're the one who made the plan. And tip number eight there's no perfect plan. Circling back to the intro, if there was a model that was clearly best practice, there would be one book, one course, one website, one app. The fact that there are so many tells you that this can't possibly be the case. So don't go down the rabbit hole of trying to read all the books and watch all the videos and tell yourself that you need to evaluate all of these things to figure out the best one. You don't. As an example, I'm sort of vaguely aware that a lot of things I do are similar to parts of bullet journaling. I've never looked into bullet journaling, and I don't plan to. Partly because I don't like the idea of having to carry around a physical book, which I would undoubtedly forget at very important times. Partly because I know I have a weakness for buying pretty journals and pens, and then they just sit there and gather dust on a shelf. And I really don't need to encourage that. And partly because I have friends who bullet journal, and I haven't seen any evidence that it gives them results that are so superior that it would be worth changing my current ways. I have no doubt it's a good system. I'm sure I would learn some helpful things. I'm also sure that believing my own system is good enough allows me the freedom to not invest a lot of time trying to figure out what's better, and still the freedom to revise it anytime I want to. I'm not picking on bullet journaling specifically. I was just making the point that good enough gets things done. You don't have to strive for perfect, and there is no perfect. I'll leave you to spend some time figuring out which time management strategies and skills do and do not work for you. If you'd like some help sorting through your current belief system about having enough time to get things done, go to whitecoatlifecoach.com and schedule a free consult with me. And if you're finding this podcast helpful, please rate it and leave me a review. The reviews really help with visibility so the people who are looking for my kind of help can find me. Thanks for joining me today. See you next time. opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.